0: Hello, my name is April Tribe-Juke, and we are here with John Hewlin with the Relationships and Revenue podcast.
1: This is Relationships and Revenue, the show where real answers come from real discussions about what holds men back in their relationships at home and in business. A better bottom line at work means improving life at home. This show is all about helping you become a better entrepreneur and a better man. Welcome back everyone to the Relationships and Revenue Show. I am your host, John Hewlin. As always, thrilled to have you with us today. I have another fantastic guest my guest today is april tribe juke april how are you today
0: i am well thank you very much
1: glad you're here uh for those of you who have read her name in the show notes yes you did hear me say that right her last name is juke don't ask me how you get juke out of that maybe someday in another another time in another show April can let me know how that happens because I had no clue. I had to ask her how to tell me to say it. So.
0: It is tricky. It is. It's that right. Swiss French thing. So, yeah. There you go. It's, it's <laughs> French.
1: There you go, folks. It's French. So, <laughs> let me give you a little bit of background about April. April is the author of two fantastic books. First one is called Pinpoints of Light, Escaping the Abyss of Abuse, and the other Is out very recently called Out of Darkness Find Fuel and Live Your Light. Now, besides being a fantastic author, she's also a speaker, a coach, she is a ghost writer, but she has two other titles that I bet she treasures most, and those are Wife and Mom.
0: I do. I definitely do. First and foremost, for sure.
1: That's right. Now, I'm going to put, I'm going to go with a little timeout here for everybody. I'm trying to say this at the very beginning of the show. The content of this show, um, just to let you know, we're going to be talking about domestic violence today. And it is entirely possible that our PG-13 could turn R with some of the content. So if you're listening to this with little ones around, you may want to choose to not do that. Just to let you know up front, I just... I just would hope somebody would do that for me when it comes to intense content, just kind of letting me know in advance if I had people around who might not need to or want to hear that. So I just wanted you all to be aware of that, but now we can move into it. So, April, your first book, The Pinpoints of Light, is really about your story of how you got out of domestic violence, is that right?
0: That is correct, yes. It is our memoir, and I say ours because it's myself and my first five children who we, how we all left and what happened. It's, it's definitely the story that goes deep into the, the mindset and the understanding of what abuse is and how it feels like it sneaks up on you and slowly, slowly, slowly dims your light away, just like a sunset does, right? It just slowly, slowly fades because soon you realize, wow, it's suddenly twilight and now it's dark, but it just doesn't turn off. And so that was definitely part of what was going on with, with our situation.
1: Gotcha. And with your newest book, Out of Darkness, tell us uh, briefly right now a little bit of what that book's about.
0: So Out of Darkness, um, it's like anything else. Once you've experienced something with great heartache, trial, and, and uh, trauma, you better find some healing, right? Mm. (laughs) So Out of Darkness became the healing book where I went big, deep, and into those dark, scary places and kind of did a whole healing work for the entire life. Mm. Obviously, a big chunk of that had to do with with a a nine-and-a-half-year marriage. So Mm. it is the healing journey, and that is how we come back out of our darkness.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Well... One of the things that's gonna help us, and when I say us, I'm talking about men right now, because although men are the primary audience of this particular show, I'm not foolish enough to think that only men listen to the show, because I I know that not to be true. At a bare minimum, I know my mother listens to this, so. (laughs) But speaking for all men right now, I realize there will be exceptions to what I'm about to say, but when I hear the term, domestic violence. When I heard you first talking about that, my first reaction to that was, I don't do that. I'm not sure I know anybody who's experienced that. So why do I need to pay attention? Help guys like me understand in more general terms what domestic violence is, and then maybe give us a little bit more about your story and kind of how all that flowed together.
0: All right. Well, does the number nine point four billion dollars raise your ears a little bit? Of course it Nine does. point nine point four million billion dollars are lost annually in business in the United States due to domestic violence. And wow. well, well, how could that be? Um for the simple fact that most um employers employ at least one woman of some sort, right? We've got we've got yeah. <laughs> we've got that happening and so One out of four women are in a domestic violence relationship. And so if you just take that number and the $9.4 billion that are lost are lost because of absentee, they're not coming to work Mm. late, or they're in the hospital, or they're now at trial, court dates, all of these kinds of things. Mm. And then there's a whole subset of different types of things that cost, where tardy, late, excuses, not able to come or stay for the full time all of those kinds of things because the controlling side on the other other end of the abuse is actually happening and so it first and foremost impacts this economic understanding of whoa my ears are perked up the second thing is which is a really tragic piece so here might be the the r piece of it every single mass shooting in the united states since they've been keeping track now mass shooting qualifies as four or more people being shot okay every single case in the united states is connected to domestic violence wow so that huge that is a massive thing to undertake they were either in it as you know grow grew up and raised in it or they themselves are A perpetrator of domestic violence and so these concepts and such that are that people think oh it doesn't doesn't really necessarily affect me it does because as a society this is the impact it's an impact in business it's an impact in just trying to go to the store like the poor people in el paso figured out at walmart Mm -hmm. last year and last year was an unusual year in 2019 for the amount of domestic violence and the amount of mass shootings that occurred this mm-hmm. even included the school shootings they were mm-hmm. still involved in domestic violence to one degree or another okay. so that is something that when we talk about those statistics people perk up and say wait a minute now this has impacted me okay and that's that's just two pieces of it and if you want to go back to the number of 1 and 4 so we have to then talk about this is actually a men's issue because the majority of those causing the abuse are men. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have nothing to like con- condemn anything about that. I have questions about it. Okay. I want to know how are our boys being raised?
2: Mm-hmm. Are they
0: being raised in homes that this is the example and this is what they know. And so this is what they perpetrate forward was there a trauma, was there a pain, was there abuse of some sort, an event, which then they have to release this understanding on someone else. I'm filled more with questions. And as we dive deeper into power and control, Mm -hmm. which are the on the surface part of what's happening in almost any abusive situation, if we go just a little bit deeper, the reason why someone needs full power and control is because they have a hurt, a pain, a pain from something from somewhere Mm -hmm. now we are not talking about the extreme liars outliers which are less than three percent of those where we would call them actual psychopaths that's less than three percent we're talking about the bulk here and they have suffered with some kind of trauma now the research that is coming through because of how much data we can collect how many questions we can answer and how many more people are willing to come forth
2: Mm -hmm. The
0: number is increasing that these incidences with domestic violence and the event that occurred to the boy, teenager, man, adult has to do with some type of sexual violence on them. Hmm. So it's very interesting that an abuse on a sexual nature then relates and releases in such a violent Hmm nature now now the violence i'm not just only talking about physical i am talking yeah. about emotional spiritual financial that okay. it can definitely span across all of those things and unfortunately most most likely they are combined which which it right. was for myself
1: i would assume there's also some mental and emotional of uh, domestic violence of course or, or it yeah. takes those forms
0: it takes those forms yes because as As anything, if you are getting verbally attacked continuously and brought down and brought down, that's going to weigh on your psyche. It's going to, you know, weigh on the emotions. And that is definitely these pieces where they can be scarring because you can recall that sound. You can call those words. At a moment's notice, they will just pop up into your head. Mm -hmm. And the unfortunate piece about that is the emotion that happened and the emotional scarring and trauma that happened when it was first said, Mm -hmm. when it pops back up, you experience the same PTSD. It, it, it's unbelievable. Now when, when the hit happens, you do have the physical impact of it. And if words are combined with it, when that word, that that anger comes back with, with those words that you hear along with the hit, your body actually can physically feel exactly where you were hit, but it's the emotion of the word that Pulls it up even even stronger, so it's just something to really note, Mm -hmm. and um, it's a it's a big red flag if you see someone that's constantly in in a gossip state. That's a pattern that's always belittling somebody. Mm -hmm. That's that's a huge flag right there to to jump on that and do some correction, which is what we love to talk about when the preventative side of things, especially with our boys growing into youth. It Mm -hmm. it's phenomenal what a male leader can do a male leader in, in church setting, sports setting, school Mm, setting in a community setting. There goes my lights again. In all of these kinds of things, the setting is incredible that when we put it into the positivity, it becomes that beacon for these boys to really become the men of providing and of, you know, that they, they love to just, help love and nurture their family through the ways that they can provide which mm-hmm. is all about your your podcast here right where we want to have that relationships and that revenue that's that's what we want to see and when we see positive male role models out there and coaches and leaders it changes the dynamic unbelievably when unfortunately we see the flip side of that it can you know lead us down into a pathway that it's more likely that that negativity that was thrown on them will be released onto someone else.
1: Gotcha. You know what you're describing as you were asking the question, you know, the the why question, why is this happening or what is causing this to happen? Which of course it, there's no way possible. It's only one thing. It's it's a multitude of things, but uh, my suspicion, my suspicion, and I have said this on the show before. So listeners, this bears repeating. I think one of the reasons that we as men have so many challenges, especially after we get married is because we were not prepared to be in healthy, loving, intimate relationships. We weren't. We've been told most of us have been, most of us men have been told our entire lives that, To be an alpha male, I'm using that terminology, but I'm going to describe that for just a minute, that you are stoic, that you don't allow things to bother you. You don't show that because it's a sign of weakness. You don't ask for help. You don't do any of those kinds of things because somehow that diminishes your maleness if you do that. That is a recipe for disaster. And I can promise you, it took me over 40 years to figure that out me a long time to figure that out and not that i'm perfect at it now i'm not but But you're aware of it i am not only am i aware i've put a lot of these a lot of these new things into practice and i'm a lot better at it yeah than i used to be so again gentlemen progress over perfection so it's a place to start so let me ask you this (sighs) april you know the first book is essentially about your journey out of an abusive relationship, you and your children, you're five yes. at that time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, with that in mind, with, with the coming out of that, what are some telltale signs that we can be looking for? Um, maybe it's in a self-reflective kind of way. Maybe it's in our closer friendships with other people. it's like, whoa, April mentioned a couple, maybe I need to be paying more attention. To what's going on with this friend of mine over here that kind of thing
0: sure so um a big thing is the belittling gossip kind of thing when we hear gossip we usually think of women but guys guys gossip but it's oh yeah it's they co- do locker room talk i guess you know that kind of terminology or whatever it's it's that understanding that if i can share this little bit of degrading you know, joke or humor, who's going to stop me? Oh, looks like the boundary's not there. I can keep going. And so it's the checks and balances right there it, as friends, as leaders, it, as parents. That's where we check because for the most part of an, how I'm understanding and what we've been going through with the research, where the boundary is, that's where they can come up to. And if they know that that boundary and that line is consistent and is going to be steady, then they'll like, okay, that's where it is. and I won't cross it. If it mm. shifts around and moves, then they're like, well, I just don't know where it is. So I'm just going to keep pushing. I'm just going to keep going. And mm. so that's a big key when we talk to a lot of leaders and stuff. That leadership part, part is key to make sure that in this you know, locker room talk, anything that's degrading and such like that, it gets stopped right there. And it gets explained why. This is no good. It's no good for your future. And, you know, you break it down and you break it down what I call male magic, like, guy to guy talk, it just works. (laughs) Women to guy, it it doesn't work. That's why I'm like, Hey, John, (laughs) you can interpret what I'm saying here and, you know, give it right straight to the guys because I see it all the time in the classroom. I am a teacher. I've been a teacher for 18 years. Mm
1: -hmm. And when we
0: see guys in the classroom, they just have this presence with our other kiddos that might have, you know, some challenges. They Mm -hmm. might come from a home where it's not the best situation. And if they can build a strong relationship with the other guys and Mm -hmm. they do it in such positivity, we see them change. We can see their future outcomes in, I mean, it's unbelievable what they can actually do because they have that belief. They know where the boundary is and they're going to go forward. So another flag that we might want to be talking about besides the degrading talk, that kind of thing, is um, what are they worried about the most? What do they control about? What do they talk about? Not in a degrading way, but what do they talk about and obsess over? Is okay. it something where they want to have this? I'll just use the word power and control. Okay. Are they always in that type of model and 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 um, conversation? That's a flag because on the outside it looks charming, it looks amazing, it looks like wow, they're a go-getter. What are they hiding to have to control everything? What within <laughs> themselves is yeah. you know lacking, and so they're like. They, they, they talk the big talk but they can't walk it
2: mm-hmm. in
0: the situations that count, right? Sure. And um, the third thing is the bystander approach. So we have seen and it, we kind of think of a stranger when this happens. Someone's walking down the road with somebody else and an argument happens. We all feel the tension immediately. Yeah. Is there someone that's going to be stepping in? Well, I don't want to get in their business. I don't know the situation. We walk around go to the other side maybe it gets even more aggressive and we've seen unfortunately and fortunately with the lovely phone how many youtube videos have been posted of someone getting into an argument and then it gets to a scuffle and then actually punches are being thrown against a woman and we watch people walk on the other side yes not my it's not my issue that's the bystander where we have to interrupt and we have to go in as the stranger part of things. We, when I'm saying stranger to stranger, that's kind of what we think of. Do we do that bystander approach with people who we know?
2: Mm. Mm-hmm. That's
0: that's the coworkers. That's where we're in situations where we have familiarity. Are we stepping in? Or are we like, oh yeah, they? I know they're having trouble, so I'll just kind of let that know. step in. And get into the situation where, you know, she can be removed and it comes guy to guy. Mm -hmm. And now there's no perfect way. There's no, Hey, ABC, this is how you do it. (laughs) But there's an interruption there. And again, the guy magic, the male magic, when that happens, it's the, I'll use your term alpha male, right? It's Mm -hmm. that thing of I'm watching and you crossed a boundary that I'm not okay with. Mm -hmm. And you are my friend, I'm gonna let you know. Now, some of them will want to try to delete delete you, get rid of you as fast as possible, and if you sure. keep showing up, they'll be like, dang. Inside, they know that you care. Outside, they're not gonna admit that. You're, you're a guy, you know it, they're not gonna be like, oh, he's here to help, no, no. But there's something inside that goes, crap, I'm busted again, and that's when we start to see change. So those are the, the top three. I mean, there's a few more, but we'll go with that.
1: Okay, okay, excellent, excellent. Um, so now that we've kind of identified domestic violence and some of the different variations of it and things to watch out for, um, what do we do as, as men what can we do when we start to notice some of these patterns? Um, well, sometimes it can be harder to see it in ourselves. So let's say we're seeing it in a, in other people. So, so how do we not do the bystander thing that you just mentioned? But what are a couple of concrete things that we can do if I'm starting to know this in a bud, in a buddy of mine, in his re, in his interaction with his wife, um, mm-hmm. Because if he's doing it in front of me,
0: you know it's even if it's behind. something
1: subtle, you know even if it's right. something subtle, it's probably worse at home than it is here. Likely. I'm not saying that's true, and I'm not saying it's physical at all, because see, again, that, there's the danger. See how my, my default was to go to the physical. but mm-hmm. that's, that might not even ever enter in, into it with them. It could be just verbal. which. Yep. You know, to the well-being of that wife, could be far worse than any physical damage could be.
0: It, it is. It's far worse, for sure. So the the question that you're asking is something that's really, really important. Um, I'll I'll go with guy things. You guys usually like to hang out while you're doing something physical, fixing things sports things
1: having experiences uh, it, together, having experiences
0: yes. together that's when you have the conversation and you have to have the conversation it it's different than when women will go to lunch we'll call we'll yeah we we do mm-hmm. things on a different scale which is fine the idea is the conversation and if you have to be in action while the conversations happen if you're out on the golf course if you're playing some you know hoops whatever yep in action have the conversation and you'll know what to do. You'll be like, hey, you know, that was, that was kind of was off. What's up? What's going on? And, you know, I'm not going to give you a script or anything because you guys know. What do. <laughs> but you, you see where I'm going with that? I
2: do. Yes. In your
0: action, have that conversation. And first of all, they'll probably be a little bit defensive, standoffish. Yep. And if defense comes first, you know you've hit something. Yep. don't let it go doesn't mean you pound on it within those first 10 minutes but you meet again you figure it out again because mm-hmm. you struck something and um you'll have other times where you know they're the good like everyone knows them to their community possibly even their church community mm-hmm. all as well all as yep. well yep. so it takes a little bit of digging but you look for the body language Guys, you're pretty good at reading certain body language. You really are.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: just put your eyes up a little bit further on the faces of these women and just watch what <laughs> happens. Do they fall? Did the face fall? Did they tweak? Did they? do they have a shock look? Watch, because they're giving you all the signals possible of like this happens all the time.
2: Mm.
0: There he goes again. Um, is this going to be an eggshell night? Watch. Look at the body language because we just. We're built, and we give it away yeah. thankfully we do and if we're we're in tune to it, it really it really you know shows and I think a lot of the men who listen to your podcast, you've been teaching great things here, and they they are aware of it, and so these are just tiny little tidbits to to just add to what good teachings mm-hmm. you've already established so
1: I appreciate that, thank you um, <clears throat> I have. Uh, I guess I'll call this a moment of confession for everyone. When I spoke with April before the program, um, a while back when we were talking about, when I was talking about having her on the show, I told her that as I started to do research into domestic violence and the different forms that it took, it started to dawn on me that I was that guy when I was a, a younger dad and I was exhibiting patterns and behaviors that I saw modeled for my own dad with my kids. A lot of it was was anger kinds of things. And when my dad got angry, he got loud, very loud. And it just at least I knew enough to know when dad got really loud like that, you just left him alone. You didn't, you didn't mess with him at all. Um and I knew what would happen if I did. So I don't, cons- I don't consider my father to have ever been physically abusive because he wasn't. But he was definitely really loud. <laughs> he made his opinions known always. But having said that, as that dawned on me that that was me before, uh, it, and that was kind of It was revealing, but it was also kind of depressing at the same time and realizing what an impact that has had on my kids over the years. What I'm now realizing is because I figured out some things that I was doing wrong and had some help along the way that I've been able to implement certain things and to make certain changes and to work on me to get me better so that I could be a better person and a better dad. I can't be a better husband, first of all, because I'm not married, but, um, and to be honest, my my ex-wife never said to me if any of that factored into our divorce. I can't imagine that it didn't, but, um, she didn't mention that specifically to me. So, um, I want to let all of you guys out there know that you may be thinking, Oh man, I do that. There's hope and there's help.
0: Definitely. So Definitely. let's
1: talk, let's briefly talk about that, April. When we get these guys are having these aha moments, what kind of help is available out there for them?
0: Okay, so I, there is help, there is a way, but it all has to do with networking. Okay. So in that that reach, when you have the aha moment, do you have that friend that you can trust that you can go to? Not mm. the friend that's going to be like, oh, man, I don't know what you're talking about. You're good. You're great. You're... No, not that friend. You got to go to your truth teller. Yes. And so yes. I, I wish I could say that, hey, yes, call this number 1-800-whatever. It, no, it's not quite that organized yet. But there <laughs> are some good things and there are some smaller pieces to it that can. I highly recommend anything from Jackson Katz, last name with K-A-T-Z, Katz. Okay. He is phenomenal in a lot of the things that he brings up with this, with male leadership, with the bystander, and um, he has some free videos out there. He's got a great um, TED Talk that really mm. helps to to describe some of these things. So you want to have your truth teller friend, you know, kind of have that that guy moment, probably in action, doing something and okay. sharing it because you guys have to share. And when you do share, it does relieve and it, and you get clarity, right? And that's this huge piece now you know, on your own type of studying or when no one wants to be, you know, you don't want to have people watching you, but you know, there's some YouTube things out there. They're great. And um, I can leave some other resources with you that will, that can help, but there, there are more organizations out there um, than there used to be. And okay. that's really hopeful, but really, before you think about organizations and stuff, find your truth teller and, and uh, do some talking while you're walking.
1: Okay. Yep. Um, once we confess, once we share, once we get that out to our truth teller, or if we have a group that yeah, we can do do kinds of fine. things with, yep. in fact, gentlemen, I would actually encourage you to do both. Yeah. Not just have one truth teller in your life, have a close knit group of guys that you're doing stuff with. You are in each other's lives. I mean, it's, it's sloppy. It's all involved. You guys talk about business. You talk about your okay. sex life. you talk about all that stuff, not in a bragging right. kind of way, but just in a being real and accountable kind yep. of ways.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's what I'm talking about. And uh, if you guys want more information on how to have the right kind of male friendships, episode 17. It's something I spoke specifically on friendship. That is a key part of the F6 formula. So check out that episode. All right, April back to this um so we're in there and we're talking to these other guys and, and we're getting these things out um but if any of the other guys are like me it's like okay i mean i can check out um, mr katz's stuff his ted talk and all that sort of thing and i can start to do some research on my own i can talk to my truth teller or truth tellers um is there anything like a step that i could take to start to remedy things on the home front? Because likely that's where it's happening, is the home front.
0: Yes. So um, you gotta have those conversations with the ones you love at home.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and it, it's not, it doesn't have to be done in a big grand scale, but you know, sometimes just talking, you know, that pillow talk right before you go to bed and uh, you're just gonna say, hey, you know what, I've been noticing some things on me and I'm, I want you to know I'm, I'm working on stuff. And she's like, well, what, what? You know, she's gonna, she's gonna be the one that's gonna be digging a little bit further to, to try and find out more. And when you're usually at that stage, that's a real vulnerable spot. But when you share it, um, you know, the the building up of trust. I would definitely before you just plop it out there. I would be you know looking at some trust, looking at how to do some repairing, and do it with you know some honesty. If it has to be written out, sometimes those emails, those texts. Usually, kind of help, right? It's kind of that mm-hmm. first step where I'm not quite there in the face, yeah. but my words are trying to say it, and and ease it into it. Because a, a difficult thing is when they finally start to share, but we're used to being on the defense, and uh, you know this this can't be true. We might throw something back mm-hmm. hard yeah. and cutting, mm-hmm. and so be ready for that. Yeah. Because think about this position we've been in. Yep we've broken down. There's so much trust lost that now they've figured things out and they want to reach out. If we strike out a few times and leave a few little scars, be patient with us because we're still trying to build back the relationship because right. ultimately that's what we all want, but it's going to take time on both ends. And right. so when those strikes happen, it's a simple thing of I own that versus, Oh yeah. Yeah. And what thing can I dig up and throw back at you? Right. So then all of a sudden it becomes like you're at the beach and you're tossing sand back and forth at each other. That's not the point of this. This is one of those things where if they do toss back, you own it. You don't have to go on and on and on about it. You just own it. And they will, we, the women will be like, okay, something is changing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And when you get to those points, then the, the bigger conversations can happen and actions do speak amazingly well. Yes. So, yeah.
1: You know, um, one of the things that came to mind when you were talking there about having those kinds of important conversations is that she may come back and say, well, first of all, I'm glad to hear you say that. We may get the barbs that come, which would be (laughs) well-earned. But gentlemen, I would take it even a a much bigger step forward and say, look, even if you don't want to come with me, I'm going to get some help. Take that step. Now, if you say it that way, in a humble way, I can't promise you she'll go with you, but I think the likelihood of her going with you greatly increases when you say, I'm going to do this, even if you don't feel like you can do it with me because I know I need to get better.
0: Right. Exactly. It's a great, it's a great foundation to stand on because for the most part, they will want to, how that looks is I'll drive you there and drop you off. It might be, I want to sit by you side by side. It might be, you know, I'll make sure that no, I don't plan anything on the night that you, you know, you have your counseling or, or whatever, you know, sure. whatever it is you're doing. And so that there's different forms and ways that it might look and, and talk to each other about it because if you're one that has to have someone right there with you and they don't feel comfortable enough yet and they don't want to, don't jump to the conclusions. Oh, we'll see. Maybe she doesn't really support that. Right. Just, just, just own it in and talk about it. And it, it's tough. But aren't your isn't your family and, and aren't your relationships worth that that toughness so, yeah absolutely that's, yes yeah, it's worth it
1: definitely, definitely. All right well let's talk a little bit about your second book now
0: okay. um, out, out of
1: darkness and that's more of a how you worked through your pain and allowed it to become your purpose and platform so help us understand a little bit more about the second book and how for those who have gone through some of that pain, how can they maybe target it more now instead of just wallowing in it, actually do something constructive with it.
0: Okay. So with, with out of darkness, um, once I had come through the domestic violence and was out for a few years, I knew in that time frame I was like, okay, I've got to get help. I've got to figure this out. Now there wasn't time for counseling. There wasn't time Cause I'm a mom of five kids. My first three boys have autism. I was teaching full-time mm. and taking a master's course because going solo, you, you got to feed them. So yeah, there was yeah. all these things happening, but I really used the time wisely within my master's course. And I looked at my cohort like crazy and was watching what was healthy, what was not healthy. And I was taking notes. I was like, I haven't been in a healthy place for so long. I have to actually Try to remember what it feels like and looks like. So this is that a good starting, thing. <laughs> yeah, it was a good thing. And it, it was this starting, um, I guess, door opening to all of this. And as I started going through it, my focus was on the marriage, what happened, all of that, all of that. And um, I'm faith based. My Heavenly Father was like, there's something over there. Go a little bit further back. Okay. Go. And I was like, um, no, I don't really want to. He's like, like, well, uh, how, how healthy do you want to be? Yeah. Don't challenge me. I'm gonna take it on. (laughs) Like, okay. And uh, so I had to go back a little bit further. So doing the childhood work, and this was me working with Heavenly Father. I didn't have counseling because I just didn't, I just didn't have it. So I don't know if I have to, you know, I'm not recommending it that way, but sometimes that is that way. Mm -hmm. Get help. Don't do this alone. That's basically what I'm saying. So I went back, back, went backwards and uh, um, had to come to the point of what I call a fallen angel, where that story within the book basically talks about the um, sexual abuse that happened to me Mm. by a neighbor and all of the things that go along with that shame and the guilt and, not understanding anything um this produced this negative voice within my head nice and loud and i called it the shame shadow and old shamey would sit right there and never stop he never shut up it was constant <laughs> you're yeah. not good enough you are too much you know all of those things that we we've heard about and it just didn't stop and so in my fear and panic i started to try and figure out why well, i got to control something We had circumstances within the home where my mom had a mental breakdown and my dad was like, I got to provide, uh, here, you get the family, feed them, clothe them, get going. You know, it was like me. So I'm the third. So you became mom. I became mom at 16 to the younger and to one of my older and my other older was off in college. So it was just this weird time. He was like, April's got it she's, she's great at planning and making a schedule and she can get a lot of things done. (laughs) So I did, I, I planned, I scheduled, I got a lot of things done. People got to their appointments and everything that they needed to do. And you know, that's, that's how I went on with this. Unfortunately, within the action of all of that, I just started to suppress things even more and thought I'm out of control. Mm. So what can I control? Food became my control. Mm. And so that was easy because we would finally get together one time a week. I can eat in front of my family one time a week, no problem. The rest of the week, no one knows what I'm doing. I'm solid. So this plan was flawless for about four years. And I was a gymnast, I was a cheerleader. You know, what other kinds of perfecting could we do? Well, I did it, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I was stuck with the three poisons of pleasing, performing, and perfecting. And I took that draft every single day.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, then I started to kind of have my my come to Jesus moment a little bit deeper and started to let go of that control with the food.
2: Mm, And mm -hmm.
0: that was powerful and very helpful. And I felt a really great spiritual awakening, but I still hadn't really dealt with what had put me there in the first place until, until my 40s because this race and run that I was constantly on I was trying to find that universal truth of, am I loved? Yeah. And I could not understand, feel it, or didn't think I had it in my life. Mm. So that was the underlying point. I just thought, well, if I did this, I had connected somewhere within this whole journey. My actions equals the amount of love and, that I'll receive. None of that was ever said in my family, ever. Right. We're doers. Uh, my mi- my maiden name is Tribe, and we call it the Tribe Drive, and it just, my dad has a t-shirt that says it's just one damn project after another, and it's a beaver building a dam, and that's just <laughs> how it is in our family. <laughs> so, you know, a holiday would come, Labor Day, well, we're up on the eve scrubbing off paint and repainting, and then we'd go on a hike, and then we'd make dinner. That was the, rela- I didn't understand what relaxing ever was because we were always constantly in motion yeah so that story going into all of this i had connected with what i could please perform and and you know produce equaled how much love i would get right totally misconceived and for the longest time the still small voice because it's small and still and when you're in action you miss it a few thousand times doesn't mean you're doing anything like bad, but he's like, Hey, what? it, how? Okay. You know, right. We're in motion so much that mm-hmm. I have to quiet myself to go. Oh, that's, that's what it is. So <laughs> I'm now remarried at this point, And my wonderful husband, his name is Scott. Um, he was a bachelor. Took in me and the five kids, had never been married, didn't have any children of his own. It was amazing. And soon we had four more kids. So there's nine kids all together. My number six, number eight are born deaf. I'm like, all right, let's learn some ASL. Why not on top of all this? And number eight also has autism. Yeah, let's bring it on. Cause I'm like, I'm familiar with this. So all these things are happening and we're in motion. I'm like, my life is so much better. In the comparison to what it was, of course, of course, of course. We have this huge life-changing move where we move from home to Texas, 1300 miles away, no family around.
2: Mm. And
0: I, for the first time, was stripped of my network, my support system, my friends, and I was like, wow. (laughs) All of a sudden, it was back to me and God in the sense of, are you ready to listen yet? (laughs) <laughs> and I finally started listening when I was 43. I'm 46. So, at 43, folding laundry one day, I have this amazing discovery through a crazy interview. I'm listening to an interview of a whole bunch of comedians, and they're talking about how their faith has grown in God. I'm like, this is so cool watching all of this. One of the comedians shares a story about the day her child was born and how she just held him and she just loved him and he didn't do anything. Okay, okay, I had to like, that was my record scratch moment. I'm like, Mm -hmm. hang on, I've had nine kids. She's right, they didn't do it, they just arrived. Mm -hmm. And I love them, they didn't do anything but breathe and exist. And finally, the whisper came, I love you the whole time. And I was like, wow. So imagine 22 loads of laundry all on the living room floor with me and nine kids folding, and mom is a wreck. I'm like,
1: oh <laughs> I can God, imagine.
0: I yeah, they're like, fold the socks cleaner, make the towels neater. You know, they're like, mom's <laughs> losing it. Yeah, I was. I was losing it. And I'm like, oh, We're loved. Yeah. It's crazy. It was cute. It was good. And it was like, oh, okay. And that was the final piece. And the book fell out probably in three months. The whole thing just came right out. It had an order, a plan, and everything. I was like, oh, Mm. those are those magical downloads. Mm. Let's have those more often. That was amazing.
2: Yeah. (laughs) But
0: I put it all in the book. And I remember contacting my parents saying, hey, this is one of those Oprah moment phone calls and my mom totally understands what that means like oh no what did we do you know <laughs> cuz right everyone goes on Oprah they they confess what happened in their childhood. Right. So I said yes this is one of those things but I want to let you guys know up front you didn't do anything but I experienced something when I was 8 years old that you don't know about and I mm. shared. Yeah. It was a quiet and long and phone call but it was good because and it was a phone call because I was cleared out in Texas but it was good and I then I said and I'm writing a book about it so I just wanted to let you know first (laughs) before (laughs) I hit the show (laughs) (laughs) so there's my pre-warning and and it was good and so actually what was really fun this this spring is when it came out in June I gave first copies to my parents my mom read it in a day and she was just like oh I get it I am she was so happy there were so many things that she had wondered about and worried about Mm. and she had never caused any of it she never knew of my pain of the experience of the you know she had never known about it Mm. and my dad and I were very close we would go camping together I had I have one brother there's four four sisters and a brother there and he would pick me to go camping Mm. because I was the adventure like okay let's do whatever my brother's like oh man, no, I'm good, no, <laughs> so he would take me. And in that, we had this kind of connection relationship. And so as he's reading through the book, he's like, I remember this time when we were on the river. Was this going on? I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh my gosh, wow. So it was such a great bonding, connecting type of piece and where they might've felt like we, I don't know what we missed with April, but we missed something.
2: Mm-hmm. And they
0: hadn't, they, they had done a beautiful job raising me to the best of their skills. You know, I, I loved my growing up years.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I just had this shadow on the side that wouldn't quite leave. So <laughs> when I came out of the darkness, I finally figured it out that the shadow is always going to be behind me, sometimes even beside me. But mm-hmm. if I stand in the light, just like anything, it's going to cast a shadow behind And so where there's opposition in all things as the light shines, the shadows behind, which way are you gonna turn? You're gonna turn and face the light, or you're gonna turn and listen to that shadow. It'll never shut up. It'll always be back there. So why not face the light? You know, and so my time in the darkness, my time in the shadow doesn't last for more than a few minutes, maybe an hour. You know, my pity party woo for me and then I'm like, Oh yeah, it's that big big light in the sky, that big, you know, Heavenly Father, wow. And go forward.
1: So. Wow. That's, that's some great stuff. Thanks for sharing that April. Appreciate that. Well, we're getting close to our time to be finished today. Uh, But before we get to our final four, um, is there anything else you want to make sure that the listeners know? And also how can they find you?
0: All right. So they can find me. Have my website on my Facebook page, all of those things, all under April Tribe Juke G I A U Q U E dot com. Facebook profile April Tribe Juke. That's where I'm at, and I can definitely get a hold of you. You can get a hold of me, vice versa. That's the best way. Now, there's other things that we pr- produce and, and help other people with. So, in the do- domestic violence realm, mm-hmm. I have a whole um, program called the Supporter's Toolkit. Because what I found really interesting in going through all of the domestic violence is that in isolation, which is the number one thing that any abuser will do is they will isolate you because that way you can't reach out to anyone else. You are alone and Mm -hmm. when you are alone, they can do whatever full control that they want. So when I networked and, and learned how to do all of these things, I suddenly realized, you know what? I actually need to teach supporters how to become supporters. And the supporters I'm talking about are not the professional advi- advocates. They're amazing and they go through training. And sp- I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about family, coworkers, friends. Mm. They're your support network. Right. And they're the ones that will you know, hold the emergency bag. You can leave some money with them. You oh. can mm. call them up at a moment's notice. Now, the whole thing about a supporter and to be an ultimate supporter is somebody that does not judge. They love. So here's an example. If you're getting ready to leave and you've been talking with somebody and you're ready and you're gonna make the move and then suddenly at the last minute you pull out and you're like, can't do it. If that person starts to go, ah, oh, I can't believe it. She's going back again. What's wrong with her? They're not, they're not a supporter. A true supporter is like a first responder. I don't know of any first responder that comes into the situation and is like, well, why are we driving so fast? Who lit the fire? <laughs> What? Nope. They're right. there to render, help, support, and get you safe. Right. Now they might vent later on, but they don't do any of that within your earsight, eyesight. They're helping you. And that's what a true supporter is, is really a first responder. So I have a whole program with that and it's very, very affordable. It's $27 because we need people to help other people out. Networking is the number one way that people get out of abuse. The other programs that we do are when, with writing, with ghost writing because then we have a lot of people who come through these experiences and they want to share their story. They, they have mm. a pain point and they have a, they have a reason to, to share and they usually get stuck within writing of this and the writing of, of these types of traumatic events or pain points is mm-hmm. difficult. So I have a program that helps them go through it and, and I'm right there with them because you'll actually end up writing three or four stories. So Hmm. that's, that's an amazing part of it. Not full books. Don't, don't get me wrong, but you, you start in this place where you're a victim to a survivor, to a thriver, and then you become that victor. And, and those books are amazing. The stories always give ultimate hope and light. So those are some of the programs that we do and um, they they're phenomenal.
1: Okay. Okay. And folks, I want to remind you that all the things that April's talking about, we'll make sure it's all included in the show notes so You'll be able to access it very easily there. Yeah. All right, April, here's our final four. Just four quick questions for you. Just tell me the first thing that pops in your head, okay? okay. All right, question number one. Why did God create April?
0: To get everybody excited and to shine a light on everybody. Like, I love to amplify people. Like, I'm the ultimate cheerleader.
1: <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> That, that is a first. I have not had anyone say I am the ultimate cheerleader. All right. I like that. I like that a lot. All right. Question number two. What are you reading or listening to right now that's helping you grow?
0: It is um, look me in the eye. And I need to know deeper into the realms of autism and Asperger's because as my Asperger and autism kids get older, this is a perspective from somebody who wrote his story as an Asperger gentleman. and and all of his life stuff, because I'm really good at the young kids, I'm really good at the teenagers, Hmm. and I'm like, oh, they're like in that transition, like 22, 24, whoa, okay. I need to know what's happening in the future, so look me in the eye is teaching me quite a bit, so I love it, yep.
1: Great, great, okay. Question number three. What's your favorite thing to do with your family?
0: Go on vacation. All 11 of us with the dog in a 12 passenger van. Go.
1: Wow. That's oh, going to yeah. be packed.
0: It is packed, baby. <laughs> My favorite thing is when we get out for lunch, mm-hmm. we had this gentleman. He was there. We pull open the door. One, two, three. He's like, y'all a church group? We're like, <laughs> well, we go to church. You want to hear about it? <laughs> that was great. It was great. So going on trips with family.
1: Okay. Love it. Love it. And question number four, what are you most grateful for?
0: I am most grateful for the ability that words can teach and reach people like how scriptures can reach us, how good conversations can reach us mm-hmm. and how through those words, love can be felt.
1: Awesome. Love that. Thank you for sharing the little bit more about you with us you. and listeners. I hope that you have I hope that you were able to gain a little bit of insight into April and who she is, kind of the experiences she's had in her life with domestic violence and how she has come out of that, not just barely eking by, but she is beyond thriving. She used another word after thriving, which I loved hearing, and that's victor. So there's another step after being a thriver, and that's being a victor. So let's strive for that. Let's strive to help those who we know that are going through this domestic violence or are committing it, helping those folks to get through the survival phase, to the thriving phase and to ultimately be victors, because not only will they be better, their friends and family will be better as a result.
2: Well,
1: again, April, thanks for being here with us today. Thank you listeners for checking us out today and we will look forward to seeing you next time bye everybody bye thanks for listening to relationships and revenue i'd love to get your thoughts on the show two ways you can do that are to give us a rate and review and or connect with me on social media you can find me at john hewlett thanks again for listening and remember passion gets you started purpose keeps you going Have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Bye.